0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah, chapter 44. We're looking this evening at verses 1 through 30. Jeremiah 44, 1 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. You'll recall, actually before we read, that the people had asked Jeremiah to... Um, Go to the Lord. Ask for guidance, what they should do. They're afraid of Babylon. Uh, The provincial governor, Gedaliah, has been assassinated. And really, they're a group of people on the run. And they're headed toward Egypt, but they ask Jeremiah to pray and say, well, whatever the Lord says, we'll do. Jeremiah goes to the Lord ten days later to get an answer. Whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. Stay here in the land. That wasn't the answer they wanted. They would do anything except that. Uh, so they uh, reject that message. They accuse Jeremiah, actually, of having been put up to that by his scribe, Baruch. Uh, and they do precisely what the Lord said not to do. They head to Egypt. Twice, it said, they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And so they go to the city of Topanes in Egypt and the Lord's final word, the end of 43, is, uh, is one of judgment uh, that would extend even to Egypt. That safe place that they sought was, at least in Egypt, an illusion. They weren't safe in Egypt, not from the Lord. And so we pick up with chapter 44, verse 1. Hear the word of God. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Judeans who lived in the land of Egypt, at Migdal, at Tophanes, at Memphis, and in the land of Petros. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem and upon all the cities of Judah. Behold, this day they are a desolation. And no one dwells in them because of the evil that they committed, provoking me to anger. And that they went to make offerings and serve other gods that they knew not, neither they nor you nor your fathers. Yet I persistently sent to you all my servants the prophets, saying, oh, do not do this abomination that I hate. But they did not listen. Or incline their ear to turn from their evil and to make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and they became a waste and a desolation as at this day. And now, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves, to cut off from you man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah? leaving you no remnant. Why do you provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, making offerings to other gods in the land of Egypt where you have come to live, so that you may be cut off, become a curse and taunt among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the evil of your fathers, the evil of the kings of Judah, the evil of their wives, your own evil, and the evil of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? They've not humbled themselves even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law and my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will set my face against you for harm. Cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant of Judah, who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall all be consumed. In the land of Egypt they shall fall. By the sword and by famine they shall be consumed. From the least to the greatest they shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with sword, with famine, with pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt shall escape or survive or return to the land of Judah, to which they desire to return to dwell there. For they shall not return except some fugitives. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods, and all the women who stood by, a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pethros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, Ask for the word you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed, make offerings to the Queen of Heaven, and pour out drink offerings to her, as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And the women said, When we made offerings to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, was it without our husband's approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image and poured out drink offerings to her? And Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer, as for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? The Lord could, not, could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste, waste and a curse without Inhabitant, as it is this day, it is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah said to all the people and all the women, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who are in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You and your wives have declared with your mouths, and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying, We will surely perform our vows that we have made, to make offerings to the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows. Perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt saying, As the Lord God lives, Behold, I am watching over them for disaster and not for good. All the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end of them. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This shall be the sign to you, declares the Lord. I will punish you in this place in order that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, into the hand of his enemies and into the hand of those who seek his life, as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and sought his life. Thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage tonight, that it has been written down and preserved for the benefit of your people throughout the ages. Lord, we pray as we study it tonight for the leading of your spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Though this is not the final chapter of the book of Jeremiah, it is the last recorded words of the prophet Jeremiah that we have. Chapter 45 actually took place a couple of decades earlier, and we looked at it in connection with an earlier passage when Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. Verses 46 uh, through 51, the various uh, oracles of judgment on the nations were actually given previously. They are oracles of Jeremiah, prophecies of his against the various nations around uh, Judah, uh, but they were given earlier than the chapter that we've just read. And chapter 52, the final chapter of Jeremiah, actually uh, apparently does not contain the words of Jeremiah himself. It's rather an appendix to the book. Uh, the end of Jeremiah 51, verse 64, says, thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And then we have chapter 52 uh, which is uh, sort of uh, an epilogue or an appendix or summary that is uh, part of the book, but apparently not the words of Jeremiah himself, so what we have here tonight is really the final act of jeremiah 's ministry it 's a rather somber one it uh, 's certainly one we need to uh, to think about tonight. This is a word to those who had gone to Egypt for refuge in direct disobedience to the word of God. They were looking for safety. They were looking for refuge. And instead of seeking that in the will of God, trusting in the Lord, they go instead to Egypt. Uh, These people were not God's future plan for his people. I hope you picked that up as we were reading through the passage. In fact, you want to look back just a little bit If you look back to Jeremiah 24, the future for God's people lay not with those who fled to Egypt, but with those who were in Babylon. You may recall back in chapter 24 where Jeremiah spoke of the good figs and the bad figs. Well, the good figs, uh, verse 4 says and 5, are those who were exiled from Judah in Babylon. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know I am the Lord. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. The bad figs were those who remained in, 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 in Judah. Now, at that time, the choice was to surrender to the Babylonians or to stay in Jerusalem and fight. at that point, staying in Judah, staying in Jerusalem was a bad thing. Uh, They were to surrender, to acquiesce to the will of God, and God describes as good figs those who were in the land of Babylon because those were the ones that he would bring back and plant in the land. And we see that as you follow on through the history of Scripture in the Old Testament. Uh, We read of their time in Babylon with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, we read of how in Ezra and Nehemiah uh, that time of exile is ended and the people begin to come back to Jerusalem. That's where the future lay, not with this group who went down to Egypt. And again, a uh, similar passage in uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and following, uh, just again speaking to the future for those who were in exile in Babylon. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, we need to recognize this is the grace of God. It's not that those who were in Babylon were somehow more worthy. It's strictly God's grace, uh, God's purpose to give them wholeness, to give them a future, uh, that they would call upon the Lord, that they would pray to the Lord, all of that, of course, is his, his grace, his doing. But it just is to remind us that that's where God's future for his people lay, was with the exiles in Babylon. We read about this group that took off, uh, that was in the land, but then took off uh, for for Egypt. It's, it's kind of a dead-end branch that takes off in the history of Judah. Well, as we look at the passage, we do see in those first 14 verses uh, this, this threat of judgment that, that sort of picks up where 43 left off, um, just their, their sinfulness. And the Lord reflects on the fact that even though they had seen the judgment he had brought on Jerusalem, even though they had lived through that, experienced the misery of that, it was all still pretty much fresh on their minds, they pretty much were in a, a live and don't learn position. Uh, they as we saw in forty three and see now, even with all that they experienced they they are just blind, they are just adamant in their opposition to the Lord, which only goes to show the hardness of the the human heart. Remember those who said, well, you know if if someone were to come back from the dead, we'd believe uh, Jesus. Says no. You know, they have the law. They they have Moses. They have the prophets. If they won't uh, believe that, then they won't believe even if someone is raised from the dead. Or to put it negatively, they won't believe even if they see the awful judgment of God. God could God could could send down destruction on an American city then people might see that, and, and even if they knew for certain it was the judgment of God, which is a hard thing to determine apart from God saying it is, that wouldn't change their hearts, apart from God's grace changing their hearts. And that's exactly what we, we see here, even with all that they've experienced. And, and with God's repeated pleas, verse 4, persistently I sent to you my servants the prophets saying, don't do this. They wouldn't listen. They kept doing it. And so we see the hardness of the human heart in in its failure to learn from God's judgment, God's mighty acts in the earth. We see the the, the hardness of the human heart in its willingness to sin, even to its own destruction. Notice in verse 6. Brother, back up to, uh, to verse 5. They did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their evil to make no offerings to other gods. Therefore, my wrath and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. They became a waste and desolation as it is at this day. And now, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? You know, we might expect him to say, why do you keep committing this great evil against God? Why do you do this against God? Jeremiah doesn't say that. The Lord doesn't say that. He says, why do you do this against yourselves? Sin ultimately harms us. It harms the sinner. It doesn't harm God. They offend God. They displease God, but it doesn't harm God. Sin is destructive. Sin is harmful. And that's what he says here. Why do you commit this great evil against yourselves? To cut off from you, man and woman, infant and child, from the midst of Judah, leaving you no remnant. Why do you provoke me to anger? Uh, So this passage shows the hardness of the human heart, failing to learn. It shows the hardness of the human heart and being willing to sin to its own hurt. Although, at least in their eyes, uh, it looked good. It reminds you of the proverb. It says there is a way... Uh, To a man, that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. And it's especially tragic when God has told us of something that leads to death, and we pursue it anyway. Uh, Verse 10, they've not humbled themselves. They haven't feared. They haven't walked in my laws. And so then verse 11, we have the therefore um, judgment. Behold, I will set my face against you for harm, to cut off all Judah. I will take the remnant who have set their faces against. In other words, that's a Hebrew idiom that means determination. You know, they've determined. They've set their faces. They're looking in this direction. They will go in no other direction. That's where they're heading. And the Lord says they shall all be consumed in the land of Egypt. They'll fall by the sword and by famine and pestilence. Their place of refuge, their place of safety. God is going to expose that as no place of safety at all, but a place of danger because it's the place of rebellion. It's the place of disobedience. Place of waywardness. There's no safety. There's no refuge. They're not protected in Egypt. Verse 14, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have come to live in the land of Egypt, shall escape or survive or return, except for a few refugees, a few fugitives that managed to, to get out. But by and large, this is a one way trip. They're going to Egypt for refuge, and they will find that they can't escape from the Lord. Now, what would be the reaction to that? What might you expect? Well, you might hope that they would be, that they would repent. You might hope that they'd say, well, you know, yes, we've messed up. We, we thought this looked like a good idea, but you're right. This is the word of the Lord. We were wrong to do this. We repent of this. And we'll go back to Judah. We'll do whatever we need to do. Is that what they do? No. They stare down Jeremiah and say, we don't profess faith in the Lord. We profess faith in the Queen of Heaven. We serve the Queen of Heaven. We profess our allegiance to paganism. Here are the, at least according to the flesh, sons and daughters of Abraham, professing their allegiance to pagan deities in a pagan land. Boys, so this isn't just a picture. Of Of sin, and where sin leads in the hardness of the human heart, again, verse fifteen, and we we covered this in an earlier chapter that this was part of the problem. what was going on in Jerusalem was this this um, idolatry, this worship of the queen of heaven, Ashtaroth uh, or Ashtarte or Ishtar, whatever the name form the name might take. Uh, this this goddess worship that had taken place, making cakes with the Im- her image on it, and how much of this had been had been stopped or at least pushed underground in the days of Josiah, the king of Judah, and his reforms after they found the book of the law, and these reforms were instituted, they were good things, but no reform, no edict passed by a king can change the human heart, and so much of this goddess worship that was taking place had simply been pushed into the homes, had been pushed underground, had been pushed out of public view, but at least to some degree was still taking place. And Jeremiah confronts them with that. Well, here again, it comes to light. Uh, their wives had made offerings to other gods, the women, all the women who stood by, uh, all the people who lived in pathos, answered Jeremiah. They said, no, Jeremiah, we're not going to listen to you. We've heard enough from you. We don't want to hear from you anymore. But we're going to do everything we said we do. we made vows to the Queen of Heaven, and we're going to keep those vows. Because when we stopped keeping those vows, bad things happened. When we were serving the Queen of Heaven, life was good. We had peace. We had food. Everything was okay when we stopped doing that. Well, then, you know, the Babylonians come. We have all these problems. We're not going to serve the Lord anymore. We're going to serve the Queen of Heaven. And the wives say, besides, did our husbands know about it? We didn't do this apart from their knowledge. Was it without our husbands' approval that we made cakes for her, bearing her image, and poured out drink offerings to her? What well, do you think about that? Jeremiah wasn't just the wives. The husbands knew we were doing They approved of our doing that. Really weird stuff. You know, and, and you, you look at that and you think, you know, what, a, what a weird, strange thing. Is it? Goddess worship? You know, it's interesting, in the present day, uh, some of the same kinds of manifestations of this sort of thing, uh, in our own day, uh, with the, the increase, the rise in pagan religions, the kind of goddess worship, even some of this old stuff, that you see uh, rising in some ways, but in other ways that may be more familiar, uh, even very early on, the undue veneration, not to say worship, of Mary. Now Mary herself was a, was a good and, and godly woman, but uh, the, the superstition that has arisen around her and the error that has been ascribed to her as some sort of mediator between us and Jesus is so blatantly unbiblical and goes far beyond any honor, and the Bible does honor Mary, but far beyond any honor that the Bible gives to Mary as the human mother of our Lord, as to be in the same class as this kind of worship of the Queen of Heaven. In fact, that title has in some ways, been in some cases, been given to Mary herself. Something Mary, I think, would be absolutely horrified by Uh, Other instances uh, of of Sophia worship, the Greek word for wisdom, Sophia worship. It was only as uh, recently as the 90s that you had in uh, some mainline denominations. This is uh, re-imaging, conferences, uh, strange things that involved Sophia worship. These are presumably Protestant Christian women gathered in these conferences, mainline denominations, To sing Sophia's praises, words such as the following, Our maker Sophia, we are women in your image. We celebrate the sensual life you give us. We celebrate our bodiliness, our physicality, the sensations of pleasure, our oneness with earth and water. Huh? Wicca, the witch goddess. Wicca is uh, certainly rising in prominence Uh, as you hear more and more about it. In fact, the last number of years, a lot of nuns have left the Catholic Church, uh, some of them into a secular life, but uh, some of them going into this kind of occultic or pagan spirituality, including uh, Wicca. Uh, Radical feminism, uh, which maybe had its heyday in the 70s, 60s and 70s, but certainly is... Being felt in its effects even up to the present day. I found God in myself and I loved her fiercely. Uh, Those kinds of things are with us today. That's the very same kind of thing that is represented here uh, in the days of Jeremiah. Um, You know, it reminds me of William Faulkner's quote, Requiem for a Nun The past is never past, the past is never dead, it's not even past. There's a lot of truth in that. I wouldn't look to Faulkner for all kinds of truth, but uh, I think he did hit the nail on the head with that one. The past is never dead. It's not even past. I was discussing with my children recently, one of my children recently, about the Civil War. And and we think of that, it seems so long ago. And yet, I knew my, gra- my great grandmother quite well, who was born not 20 years after the end of the Civil War. You know, so, I, I knew someone who went back almost to that time, and her parents certainly did. It was that close. But even going back to the days of Jeremiah, which obviously is, is a much, much, much longer time, there are some things that just weren't left in Jeremiah's time but are with us today, including human nature, fallen human nature, its inclination to idolatry. The past is never dead, it's not even past and it's certainly true with the kinds of idolatry here that Jeremiah is describing but we have this 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 threat of judgment on the part of the Lord but then we have this this shocking profession of paganism that the people make there in Jeremiah's response in verse 20 and following um, He answers them, you know, these these things that you did and not the Lord remembered them. Did it not come into his mind? The Lord can no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations you committed. Therefore, your lands become a desolation. He tries to explain that it was because you were worshiping these pagan deities that the Lord has done this. Verse 23 is because you made offerings, because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and his testimonies, that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. You can see Jeremiah just just aghast at this twisted understanding they have of their recent history. Saying it's because they didn't serve the goddess of heaven, the queen of heaven, that this stuff came. Said, Jeremiah is just shaking and said, no, it's because you did that. It's because you didn't serve the Lord that all of this came. And then his final words that we have recorded are horrifying. Because, well, we have this threat of judgment, and then we have their affirmation of their sin. Then you have here finally God handing them over to it. God finally says, go for it. Gives them over to their sins. Jeremiah says in 24, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you and your wives have declared with your mouths and have fulfilled it with your hands, saying, we will surely perform our vows we've made to make offerings to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. Then confirm your vows. and Perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who dwell in the land of Egypt. By the way, that's Connection is, is, is a return to their slavery where they were enslaved in Egypt and were brought out by God's grace and mighty acts and were planted in the land. He gave them a good land flowing with milk and honey. Here they are back in Egypt, back in a far more dire slavery than they had before. Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be invoked by the mouth of any man of Judah in the land of Egypt saying as the Lord God lives behold I am watching over them for disaster and not for good you have of course you may know a echo of those words in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, which was exactly what was happening among those of Judah who were in Egypt. What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. That was these people in Judah, now in Egypt. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. That was these people of Judah in Egypt. And so we have three times in verse 24, 26, 28, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, He gave them up to a debased mind. Dear friends, the worst judgment that God invoked on these people was not the burning of Jerusalem. It was removing himself from them and releasing them to their sins. What a warning this is to anyone living in unrepentant sin, to anyone clinging to their sins, whether they profess the name of Jesus or not. The most dire judgment God can do is to give you over to your sin. To say to you in effect, so you want your sin? Fine. Have your sin, but you won't have me. And that's exactly what the Lord says to them here in this passage. That they will no longer invoke the name of the God saying, as the Lord lives. He removes himself. He gives them exactly what they want. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, In the end, Thy will be done. He just said that to them. That was the end of Jeremiah's ministry. Which raises the question was Jeremiah a failure? Humanly speaking, yes. Jeremiah spent his life pleading and pleading and threatening and warning and teaching and proclaiming and prophesying. And they resisted him pretty much every step of the way. What was left at the end of Jeremiah's ministry? People in exile in Babylon, people in rebellion in Egypt, and a smoking-ruined Jerusalem. Humanly speaking, Jeremiah's ministry ended in utter failure. But from a divine point of view, Jeremiah's ministry was an outstanding success because he stood firm. Because he was not led into compromise. Because he was willing to stand for the truth and to suffer for righteousness' sake, even at great cost, to himself. So that the Lord could look at his servant, who had fulfilled the ministry God had given him to fulfill, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. In the eyes of heaven, Jeremiah's ministry was a rousing success And who knows what seeds were planted in the hearts of those in exile in Babylon because of the ministry of Jeremiah. And we see Jeremiah as he fits into that grand redemptive work of the Lord and his ministry ultimately paving the way for that remnant in Babylon to return, to be replanted, and to begin to serve the Lord again in Judah until that time, centuries later, when a baby was born in Bethlehem. Jeremiah's ministry was, humanly speaking, a failure. But in God's eyes, it was an outstanding success. Which gives us a whole different measure for evaluating our own service to the Lord. The things that we would like to see in our own hearts, the things that we would like to see in our own families, the things that we would like to see in our own church. Now, we're grateful that God didn't give us all the ministry he gave to Jeremiah, which was a hard one, a painful one, but a necessary one. We live in the New Covenant. We live in a day when God has promised great things, Uh, maybe greater at times and in places than at others, but nevertheless with confidence that the Lord is going to bring blessing, is going to bring, bring fruit, is going to make his word powerful and effective for salvation, though in some cases he still uses his word for judgment as well. But as we look at this passage, we are forced, and we would honor Jeremiah uh, as we are forced to go back and look at our own hearts, to look at those areas in our hearts where there are idols, where there is misdirected worship, where we are still holding out against the Lord, to hear the warnings, yes, of God's judgment, but also with the greater light that we have of the rest of Scripture to recognize God's love for us and his provision for our sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that in our fallen condition, we are exactly like these people. We look for safety in all the wrong places. Our hearts are prone to wander and prone to rebel against You. And Father, we pray for Your grace to keep us from those things, to expose those things, to give us the ability to repent and to trust in Your Word and to seek our refuge in you. Father, we thank you for the work that you've begun in us. We pray that you would continue that work, sanctify us, make us like Christ, increase our love for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.